Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Game Time with Garrison and Garrett. I'm your host, Garrison, and with me, as always, is Garrett Thigpen. Garrett, good to be back with you, and gosh, we got we got some good stuff to talk about. Oh, yeah. Got to recap that great national championship game. Um, some crazy news happening the last uh, last couple days. So, uh, yeah, plenty to talk about. It, yes, indeed. Uh, and you brought up the news, so I'm just going to come right out with it. Nick Saban has retired as head coach of Alabama, and boy, does he leave a legacy behind. I mean, you, you know, this is something that people talk about at the end of every season with Nick, so it's I, I wasn't too shocked by it, but still, Garrett, I mean, that, that sends shockwaves across the landscape of not only college football, but just sports in general. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, like you said, it's not shocking, but it's something that's so, it's so massive that even when it happens, regardless, you're kind of taken aback and it's hard to believe, uh, right. you know, going forward, Nick Saban will not be the coach at Alabama. Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, he's been there so long. They've been such a, a staple, the standard uh, across the sport. So, um, yeah, just uh, the game's going to be a little different now. And it'll be interesting to see how Alabama continues. Um, yeah, I mean, they've they've just been the standard, and it'll be interesting to see how they continue without him. Um, and, you know, it's, it's fu- funny enough, uh, another person who has seen similarly in the NFL, Belichick, he's yeah. also now gone from the Patriots. Uh, very, very similar um, careers, I would say, especially over the last 20 years. So, yeah. Um, yeah, those two happening back to back is just uh, it's it's crazy uh, in sports world. So, um, but yeah, he'll uh, as much as people don't like uh, you know teams d- that dominate the sport, um, it, it he'll he'll be missed among the sport for for most fans. I would say unless you're an Auburn fan, I would say most people are gonna gonna miss Nick Saban in college football. Right. You know, the, there's something to be said. I think for the the hate factor when it comes to mm-hmm. success in sports you know at early on when they they kind of hit I, I liken it to a roller coaster you know you get to the top and I, I whether it's Tom Brady whether it's Bill Belichick whether it's Nick Saban for me personally it was mostly the fans of those respective institutions right. that bothered me it wasn't so much Saban or the you know the players it was the fans. It just I just was mm-hmm. sick of hearing about it. So with Alabama, you know, I, I definitely was sick of hearing about the success of the Alabama Crimson Tide, and they were always in the national championship conversation. But after a while, I mean, Nick Saban's been doing this for 28 years. Not at not at Alabama for all 28, but he he's been at Alabama since all the way back in 2007. So 16 years he's been you know pretty much dominating the SEC and all of college sports that it, it you just start to respect it after a while even though you're sick of Alabama you just can't help but tip your cap to say but I was, you know I mentioned Tom Brady how about Kobe Bryant I was a Spurs fan just stop winning stop beating my Spurs but at the same time you got to tip the cap and be like man it, just that sustained greatness which is so difficult to do and for those of you mm-hmm. at home, Saban, in his 28 years of coaching, had an 80% win rate, 297-71 and 71 
and then his bowl record in 31 games, which is incredible to even go to 31 games, 19 and 12 for a 61% win rate. Uh, just, just a fantastic career at Toledo. Uh, he went 11 and nine before actually taking a job with Bill Belichick at the Cleveland Browns. And then, uh, so there are obviously posts about that. You know, there's this funny, uh, clip of them, you know, uh, together in Cleveland and just a reminder that, oh yeah, they crossed paths at one point. But uh, then from there, went to Michigan State, 34 and 24, and then to LSU, 48 and 16, wildly successful. Went to the Dolphins after that, didn't see the success. And then obviously finishing with Alabama, going 206 and 29 for an 87% win rate. That's just incredible. Yeah. Um, just, I mean, we've never seen anything like it. Um, they, they've been the standard in the sport. And, you know, this past season, uh, they peaked at number three, I believe, in the AP rankings. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time since his very first season in 2007 that they haven't hit number one in the AP poll during the season. Jeez. So 15 straight years that they were able to reach number one at some point during the season. So um, just insane. And then my favorite stat is probably the fact that um, every single player that stayed with Nick Saban at Alabama for a full four years won a national championship mm. over a 17 year period. Like they never went four years without winning a title. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's uh, something that we may not see again for a long, long time. Definitely not especially as you look at the landscape of college football, it's shifting so dramatically to this playoff format. The NIL deals are changing the landscape. The, uh, the, the transfer portal is certainly shaking things up. And I think at some point it's going to settle down. But like you said, it could be a while before we ever see some sort of sustained excellence. And I don't know that it'll ever be to this extent. Uh, some other crazy stats that he had. 45 consensus All-Americans in his time at Alabama, 14 honors and awards uh, under his under his own belt. Like the oh, this goes all the way back to 2003, AP Coach of the Year, Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year, Paul Bear Bryant Coach of the Year, which that would be some foreshadowing there. Uh, you could go on and on, and yeah, obviously the national titles to boot. Uh, he had. Let's see. How many national titles? Uh, I'm, I'm looking at his all-time At least coaching. seven in total. Seven. Six with Bama and one with LSU. Yeah, not a bad record in its own right, nonetheless. No, so, no, no. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, so Garrett, if you could think back through all Nick Saban's time in Alabama, is there either a favorite memory or a – that could be even if you, you know – aren't of your time mm. not being a fan of him or is there one where you um, can't help but just admire i would have to say i mean the first thing that comes to mind would be hmm i mean the first thing i thought of was the national championship game against georgia um where they went into it with jalen hurts mm. and then he yep. made that decision at halftime to put uh to put to it in and they were able to come back and win in overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, I mean, that's, you know, a coaching move in a, a situation like that that most people probably wouldn't be able to make. 
and um, it obviously worked out for him. So uh, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you? I guess one that comes to mind, and this is when I was more of a hater, was the kick six <laughs> with Auburn. <laughs> Just, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so many epic memories between Saban and Auburn. And obviously he got the he got the last laugh against Auburn this year with right, the fourth right. and thirty one, uh, which was epic in its own right. And then I suppose kind of a positive memory was <laughs> this is another team that I hated for a while, the Florida Gators. He came in and finally changed the scenery, uh, getting Florida out of the equation. And you know that. Even that was with Tim Tebow, and I'm a huge Tebow guy, but I was just so sick of Florida. I wanted somebody else, Mm -hmm. and Saban came in and said, I've got you, but you've also got me for the next 16 years, little did I know. Um, You know, so, and then I guess uh, just he and his relationship with Miss Terry, uh, just kind of how over time they've kind of become, became the power couple of college football, and every, anybody said something negative about Miss Terry, and people were would just be furious, and especially nowadays as they've you know ventured into the realm of grandparents kind of thing. Um, right, right. But nonetheless, uh, th- that's that's what I would say for Saban. Oh, good, good stuff, good stuff. I um, yeah, he'll be, um, yeah, just uh, the figure not not only as a coach and his success on the field, but um, you know, nothing but. Y- since his retirement, you've heard nothing but positive things about him off the field as well from, um, you know, former players, former coaching staff that were underneath him. Right. Um, pretty much everyone in the industry is, you know, really well liked and respected in, um, in the sport. So definitely, definitely going to be missed. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, even uh, in the times where I wasn't a fan of him, he, he was just always very classy when he spoke about the opponents, the other team. Um, and anytime his players showed disrespect to the opponents, he would rip into them and he just expected professionalism, which is why players would go to Alabama. They wanted to be set up for success in the NFL level. So, um, yeah, we just lost an icon in the world of college sports. It hasn't really sunk in for me entirely just yet, but just, just an incredible coach and he will definitely be missed. Like you said, so as as we cover college sports, we have to ask the question in this way too early scenario, but they're already talking about possible replacements for Nick Saban. The show must go on. And some of the guys already brought up, you know, I was, yeah, I, I actually like some of these, but some of them I just think are ridiculous. But here are some of the replacements that have been brought up. Dabo Sweeney from Clemson, which I think is funny. There's actually a large contingent of Bama fans that do not want that. Uh, just especially because he's just beaten Alabama sometimes Uh, Lane Kiffin which I don't know how I feel about that just given his track record of cutting and running (laughs) he's been at Ole Miss you know for a good while so maybe he's past that Uh, Kalen DeBoer which you know I I can maybe see that we'll we'll digest this a little bit more Steve Sarkeesian Mike Norvell Urban Meyer even I don't see that one but and I don't see this one either. No. Deion Sanders. Um, it, do, do any of those names jump out to you as, oh, that could maybe work? Uh, I mean, at this point, I think the most likely is Kalen DeBoer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, Dabo Sweeney, I, I just don't see that happening. Lane Kiffin, uh, I mean, he was 
I think the first person on everyone's mind as being the most likely successor. Mm-hmm. But he he's also in the best situation of everyone in this at his own like where he is right now. I mean, Ole Miss is looking like a top five preseason team next year. Right. Um, they've got most a lot of their key players coming back. Great transfer class. Great recruiting class. So. I mean, they're set up to be really successful where he's at right now. Right. Obviously, the Alabama job is going to be uh, a little more prestigious and it'd be a step up. But uh, you also have to weigh the fact that, you know, you're stepping in to fill in for Nick Saban. Yeah, right. And you're stepping into the greatest, you know, you, you, that's a lot to live up to when, you know, the standard, if he steps in there, is going to be winning a national title. And. Yeah, that's gonna be tough, and I feel like he's already in a great spot at Ole Miss. So yeah, uh, I I could see him staying, and so Kalen DeBoer I think has a little you know they had a great run, uh, but the, you know they're switching conferences. Right, uh, you're losing a lot of your key pieces. I think this would be a good time for him to move on. And obviously, if you know, I think if you get off if in his situation if he gets offered the Alabama job, I think there's no way he turns it down. Right. So I like Kalen DeBoer the most, probably second would be Sarkeesian. Uh, he's also in a good spot. And, you know, you're at Texas. That's, uh, you know, that's as almost as prestigious, prestigious as it gets as well. Right. But I think those are two are the most likely. Urban and Dion, I think, are no chance. Mike Norvell, yeah. possibly. I could see that as well. But, um, yeah, I think those, I think DeBoer and Sarkeesian and maybe Mike Norvell are the three that I would say are the most likely right now. I would be inclined to agree with you, especially with um, DeBoer's situation. Just that I think Washington, even though they have certainly done themselves a favor with their performance this season, you know, showing themselves as, hey, maybe we are a national championship destination. And the 12 team playoff certainly helps matters too. But you're also entering the Big Ten, like you said, and a lot stiffer competition. You're going to be running into the likes of Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and then your fellow cohorts of Oregon, USC, UCLA are all coming with you too. And you're going to be getting some some tough competition. You're also in the recruiting battle with said tough competition now. So I think DeBoer just looks at the Alabama situation, and I don't think any coach necessarily wants to follow Saban, <laughs> but, but if you're talking about moving up, you know, I, I think DeBoer, it, he's not going to get another chance to run a flagship program like Alabama, it, mm-hmm. at least not for the foreseeable future. So if that door opens up, you take it. Plus, with all the resources behind it, all the, you know, the, I guess the name that comes with it nowadays, that's tough to pass up. So. I agree with the DeBoer yeah. take, especially. Sarkeesian, I don't necessarily see that as much, given that, yes, you know, he, he is a former Saban assistant, and he's already had experience out in Alabama for sure. But, I mean, he's at Texas. What I could see is maybe uh, with the Texas boosters, I don't know about you, but to me they just seem insufferable. Like they're, They are expecting, just like Alabama, championship every year. You have to be there. Mm-hmm. But it they've just been in, to me, one of the more high-pressure jobs at UT in recent memory. So maybe Sarkeesian's just like, you know, I don't want to deal with all this politics. And it seems to me that Bama was just 
content to be behind Saban. And don't get me wrong, he got the results, so they didn't have to say anything. But maybe maybe they're just a little bit more laid back in Alabama than they are at Texas. That's just my gut feeling. Um, so I could see Sarkeesian jumping ship in that respect. And then Norvell, yeah, I could see that too because Florida State's in an interesting position. ACC conference is make not going to make it easy for Florida State to leave. Uh, the fans are all incredibly upset over what happened with you know being left out of the college football playoff. And yeah, but Florida State's just kind of in a funny spot right now. They're kind of up in the air. And he's done great with a transfer portal. And I'm sure his recruiting classes will grow in talent as well. But he's, I mean, if Florida State versus Alabama, Florida State's like an A minus to me. Alabama's an A plus. So he's got to at least consider it. So, anyways, th- those are the ones that jumped out to me. Um, now, Dan Lanning has already denied reports. He was an immediate, you know, everybody started chirping that Dan Lanning was going to take the Bama job. In fact, there were people reporting that he was on campus to accept the job, to which he laughed it off and made a video and told, basically told Oregon, no, I'm staying. Do you think that's the right move for him to stay at Oregon, or you, you think he's passing up a good opportunity here? I think that, I don't know, I think that it'll be interesting to see how they fare now that they're in the the Big Ten. I mean, they've they've been a team that's, you know, they've dominated, not dominated, but they've been an elite program for quite some time now, but they just haven't been able to get over that hump and actually compete at the, you know, for a national championship. They've made the playoffs a couple times, but um, I think, you know, every time they've had been in this situation, uh you know, whether it was against, I believe in the championship game and the, the first playoffs against Ohio state, they were just, they just looked outclassed. Right. And every time, you know, this season they looked so dominant and then they couldn't beat Mich- They couldn't beat Washington either time. Oh, and two against them. Right. So they, they, they get great recruits. They have great funding. Um, great uniform. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Great uniforms, but they just can't get over the hump. And I don't know. I mean, he. I think that he's in a good spot and, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, maybe he just really loves the program, the people there, and he wants to see him succeed and he's happy where he's at. And if so, then I think that's fine. Um, yeah, yeah. I think obviously Alabama would have been a step up in prestige and he would have had access to, you know, even without Saban, obviously Saban has a big impact on recruiting. Um, I think he probably would have had maybe better success recruiting at Alabama still, but right. Um, yeah, I think that now with them moving into the Big Ten, I think he'll have an opportunity to build something at Oregon, and I think it'll be a good a good spot for him to prove himself as an elite coach, and then maybe down the line, if he wants to jump ship to a bigger program, um, he can. But I, I don't I don't see a problem with it. I don't mind staying at somewhere like Oregon. I think he's got. I think he has everything at Oregon that he needs to be successful right. if he's an if he is an elite coach. So yeah. I don't think that the location's going to hold him back necessarily. And you know, there's something to be said for just being happy to be in a where you're at and be in a stable environment. You know, there's the family aspect of hey, I don't want to move my family all across the country left and right. We're happy here. I've got a good program. I've got a good thing going. Why shake it up? You see all these coaches, you know, across various sports leave for another spot when they get some success going. And then it doesn't always pan out 
in the right direction. And then that's their legacy. They build something, you know, speaking from a smaller team perspective, you know, with Washington State, we'll have coaches just take off through the stratosphere, build something really successful. And then when they leave, they just, they can't replicate it. You know, like George Raveling was a coach here back, I think in the 80s. And he, he had the Cougs playing really good basketball. And then when he left, just disappeared. Or Mike Price, who ha- who got that, <laughs> awkwardly got fired from Alabama after building Washington State into like a Rose Bowl contender every year. And he, he doesn't even coach a game in Alabama, which, you know, that embarrassment. But hey, um, so it, there's... All that to say, there's something to be said for just the the coach who said, you know, I, I like it here. I want to stay here. I could get a more prestigious job potentially, but I'm at a good spot and I want to see where we can take this. So in that sense, I, I, I give props to Dan, to Coach Lanning. You know, it's it's you don't necessarily see that all the time. And uh, sometimes it's refreshing. So um, I liken it, I suppose, to the NBA where you see a player – you know, pass up joining a super team or something like that to say, to stay in a smaller market and be like, no, I'm, I'm happy here. I'm going to play here. Mm-hmm. And, um, so in, in any case, uh, that's the Saban replacement scenario. Here's a guy that's staying put, uh, Quinn Ewers. He's returning to Texas next season. And I don't know about you, Garrett, but after that college football semifinal performance, I think that's probably the right move. Yeah, I mean, it's a deep quarterback class, and yeah, I think he's still got room, a lot of room for improvement, and he's in a good spot at Texas, so yeah, I think it's a good move for him. I think this is what a lot of people kind of expected, and um, yeah, I think uh, I think that's the right move. Yeah. And now, what do you think of this? Some people are saying he could lose his job to Arch Manning. Are you a believer in uh, Arch Manning? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, you never know how, especially at the quarterback position, translating from high school to college football, it's hard to really tell from high school highlights how good a player is going to be. Right. Um, you don't know how good the competition he's playing against is, uh, how good his team is. It's, it's, it's too hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, nothing really stood out to me. Obviously he was rated really high. I've seen a lot of people be- who believe that that was just because of his, if his name wasn't Manning, he would not have been rated sure. nearly as high, and the tape doesn't reflect that level of hype. So, I don't know. Nothing really stands out to me watching any of his highlights. But, um, you know, I'm not a scout, so I don't, I don't know. Sure. Uh, I, to me, I would say they, you know, maybe if he play, if he comes back and plays poorly, I think sure he could be in danger of losing his job. I think that was the case this year, even. But I think he, he improved a lot this year compared to the year before. So I think he's just hoping that he can he can keep building and have an even better season this year. So and I think the talent's there. He's showed plenty of flashes, and right. Um, I think he's just you know, you know, he's just got to have that belief in himself that he's going to improve and play well. So I think as long as he plays well, he's fine. Yeah. Um, he just yeah, that that that's pretty much just it. Yeah. Just uh, don't suck it up and he'll be all right. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Um, elsewhere, Marvin Harrison Jr., he's declared for the NFL draft. 
I'm shocked, Garrett. I don't know about you. I thought he was going to come back and make $30 million a year at, at, uh, yeah. at Ohio State. What happened to those NIL deals? Yeah, no, this is the most obvious announcement of the offseason by far. <laughs> yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr. And how, uh, you know, this is just kind of, I guess, gut feeling here, but uh, do you think he's going to be an incredibly high draft pick? Yeah, I mean, we've seen receivers start going higher and higher, especially when you see the success that people like Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase have had so quickly True. in the NFL and the impact they can have on teams. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think he's – I doubt he makes it past the top four. Um, mm. I think he – yeah, I mean, I'd say he's an, he's an easy top five pick. So uh, I could see him going to the Cardinals potentially – they're happy with Kyler Murray. They don't want a quarterback. I could, you know, they've got the fourth spot right now. Right. Uh, I could see him going there and to the Bears. Yeah, there's there's a few no, teams out there that I think he's he might be the first non-quarterback taken. Um, yeah. So whatever quarterback out there, whatever teams out there, maybe like the Chargers, even um, you know, they've got Justin Herbert. They just want to get more weapons. So yeah, I think I think he's an easy top five pick. Yeah. Hey, do you think? Uh... Based on receivers you've seen in the past here recently, intangible-wise, do you think that he's one of the best prospects we've seen in a while? Yeah, I'd say so, for sure. I mean, he's, you know, we've had great ones coming out recently. Um, I, I'm not going to say he was a better prospect than Jamar Chase. Sure. Um, but he's on that level. I mean, people have been talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. for the past year or two, um, saying that he was going to, you know, since this was going to be the level he was at regardless. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, he, yeah, I, I, he's, he's on that level of, uh, of Jamar chase. Um, and then before that, you know, you go back to AJ green and Julio Jones, Amari yeah. Cooper, guys like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think he's definitely up there among, among the best we've seen. Well, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens, but nonetheless, Marvin Harrison, is moving on to the NFL. Um, oh, off topic here. I don't have this in the show notes, but Ohio State, they've got a lot of guys coming back next year, Garrett, and that includes their head coach, which some fans were joking about. It's like, oh, great, but we still have Coach Day. <laughs> but, um, but, man, Ohio State, uh, they look just back in line for another championship run or, or a playoff run, that is, especially with the 12-team playoff, even without Harrison even with their quarterback situation being a little up in the air. So stay tuned for the Buckeyes that their second best receiver committed to coming back. That was, oh, I have his number, number eight. Emeka Obuka. Yes, Emeka Obuka. There we go. He's coming back there. They've got the number one running back transfer from Ole Miss coming in. Uh, this Ohio State team could be set up to, uh, you know, really challenge for the championship next year. And let's see here. Uh, Michigan, they're back in the news. And, you know, before we get to uh, their good news, they had some bad news over Christmas. Michigan has received notice of allegations from the NCAA regarding alleged violations by football staff during COVID-19 recruiting dead period. I feel like we've already heard about this, but it got brought up again. And this leads to a gut reaction I have, Garrett, with Michigan winning the national championship and these violations, the NCAA is just going after Michigan. I feel like Jim Harbaugh, he's just, he's going to go to the NFL. Hmm. 
Yeah, I, I pretty, I've thought, I, oh man, since they won it, I, that's what I've thought as well. I thought he's he's probably gone just with, you know, the amount of seniors they had on that that team. Everyone they're losing, um, you know, finally finally winning it all, um, having to deal with all the allegations. It seemed like the perfect storm to leave. The way he's talked since then has made his he's given the idea that he's going to stay. So right. that made me hesitate a little bit. But, you know, it's hard to go up by what coaches say. True. Um, they always give the indication that they're going to stay, and it usually doesn't really mean much. So right. um, I think I'm going to have to agree that I think he's going to jump ship to the NFL. There's a lot of openings, mm -hmm. um, some some even pretty attractive ones. So, yeah, I think uh, – I, I think he I think he leaves as well. Yeah, I mean, you just look at the landscape of college football, the uh, NIL stuff, the transfer portal. The, you know, it, it's college football is shifting like crazy, and then he's got to deal with the inept NCAA. And I'm not not even talking about the sign stealing stuff. I just mean stuff like this is what make just drives me crazy. Like, really, you, you've got kids pulling up to practices in Lamborghinis. Meanwhile. Michigan's in trouble over some uh, feeding a recruit during a COVID-19 recruiting dead period. And if I'm Harbaugh, I'm looking at that, dealing with that bureaucracy. And I'm like, are you kidding me? At least the NFL, you know, for all its issues, seems to have the business model figured out. And he can just go focus on coaching football. And at the end of the day, you know, there, you, we haven't seen many coaches who can go between college and the pros and still have success. Harbaugh was one of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, he took he was a yeah. snap away from being a Super Bowl champion and he lost to his brother. What a cool matchup. Um so and then like you mentioned, some good openings. The Chargers. Boy, does that look attractive. Or he could go to Washington, which he he doesn't like playing his brother from what I've heard. He doesn't want to play against him quite as much. And he would be in the other division if he goes to Washington in kind of a meaty... Well, he would still have to play the Cowboys and Eagles. But uh, his folks could then also be out there near the grandkids and whatnot in between the Harbaugh brothers. So, I don't know. Just a couple of ideal spots to jump ship to. Something he'll have to consider. Yeah, I think those are good spots. The Seahawks even. Yeah. Uh, the Falcons. I think there's a there's a lot of openings that um that would make sense. So yeah, I think that uh, you know all the outside circumstances point to the perfect opportunity to leave. So right. yeah, that's that's where my money would be. Well, there's our thoughts on Harbaugh. But seeing as we've brought this up, we got to go to the national championship game. And Garrett, it was certainly an entertaining one. And here is how it sounded. The corner. Last two years with McCarthy at quarterback. It's a very crafty play calls down here. Instead, they just handed this time to Quora. Steps back, breaks a tackle. Touchdown, Michigan. Boy, so that before we dive into the game, Garrett, and what took place, just a couple of gut reactions to kind of go through here. Well, I guess we can kind of dive into the game too and go through the gut reactions at the same time. Michigan defeated the Huskies by a score of 34 to 13, but I don't, you know, I think that the game the score was not indicative of what kind of game that it was. 
But nonetheless, Michigan, they they certainly played tough physical football, and that's really what helped kind of set the table for this score. Yeah, I thought, honestly, I mean, I was rooting for Washington, but, and, and you know, given the high-powered offense, you always felt like they had a chance. Um, they right. were just a big play away from making it happen. But they just felt outclassed the entire game. Um, mm. They were really on the it, – it felt like Michigan was really in control and Washington had to play perfectly to have a chance. And they just didn't. Right. Uh, so many mistakes. The amount of false starts. The offensive line, you know, they were – they won the award for the best offensive line in the country. They had played amazing against Texas. Um, they were amazing all season. But yeah. they just looked – inferior to that Michigan defensive front. They were getting destroyed. Um, Penix had no time to throw. Um, and yeah, that, just that offensive line had literally just won the best offensive line in the country award. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it just, uh, yeah, they were, uh, they were outclassed. Penix had no time. Uh, they couldn't run the ball effectively. Dylan Johnson was hurt. Maybe it had a little bit of an effect on the run game, but even right. even still, I, I don't think it mattered too much. Um, they just couldn't get anything going offensively. So the defense stepped up a few times. They, um, you know, they they got destroyed in the run game on the first couple drives. They gave up uh, three forty-plus yard runs uh, right off the bat, and it just looked like this was going to be a, a just absolute slaughter. But then the defense really stepped up. Uh, towards the end of the first half and then for much of the second half as well. And uh, they, they gave Washington a chance to to get back in it, but right. too many mistakes, uh, a tr- crucial drop on third down in the second half, um, penalties, missed, missed opportunities deep downfield, passes that Penix usually never misses. He was overthrowing guys all night. Uh, a lot of that had to do with the pressure. Seemed like even when in, there wasn't someone hitting him, it, he just, you could tell, it, it reminded me a lot of, as a Panther fan, watching Cam Newton once, especially later in his career, after he'd taken so many hits, the offensive line was terrible, and he started really just constantly getting into the bad habit of always throwing off his back foot, and it caused him to just overthrow right. all the time, and it just felt like the pressure was in his head, and I feel like we saw that from Penix. He was just, you know, he was playing scared that entire second half, and just, it, the pressure was really getting to him, so... Yeah, just uh, unfortunate, but um, you know the Michigan defense lived up to, you know, lived up to the hype that they did. And you know, something I kind of realized as the game was going on was this Michigan defense was constructed for the sole purpose of beating Ohio State. Went back when they had C.J. Stroud or quarterbacks before him, and you mm-hmm. know the mobile quarterbacks, the gunslingers who could pick apart a defense in the past Michigan they were just good enough to line up and go man to man and beat the lesser competition that that's just what they did but against Ohio State who were bringing in the five star recruits they couldn't do that and they got exposed so they went and got a Baltimore Ravens coordinator John, uh, Jim called John up and asked for one of the coordinators i believe it was McDonald was his name and then another coordinator went to Vanderbilt for a year uh, to so he could get some experience. 
And so yeah, they brought McDonald in. He rebuilt the defense, basically turned it in to the Baltimore Ravens defense, similar scheme at least. And they started coaching the players up in this defense. Immediate improvement. And that's what started beating Ohio State. That's what helped them win the first year. And then they just went from there, plugging guys into that style where you've got hybrids playing, you know, that could be safeties playing linebacker. Kind of reminds me of those old U defenses. You remember those, Garrett, where you had mm-hmm, these linebackers mm-hmm. backers who were undersized but so fast. And yep. you, you just look at Michigan, and that's them to a T. They're just on the ball. Then you got these dominant defensive linemen plugging up the middle that are still fast off the ball. Just insane. And then you've got these edge rushers that are just constantly putting pressure on the quarterback. And then you got a great secondary. I mean, th- that secondary has in itself a, a you know a top cornerback target that was following Odunze all over the field, and it showed. Now, sometimes he may have gotten away with penalties. More on that here in a little bit later. But um, you know, that I think that's what we saw was that Michigan defense was built to stop an offense like Washington's, and Washington just didn't have a counterpunch. You know, to your point, Dylan Johnson, he was a non-factor. And I think, yes, the injury certainly had a part to play in that. I mean, you heard him screaming, you know, in pain at the end of that Texas game. It didn't look good. And then he had to get helped off the field. So coming into this game, I knew that was going to be a big issue. And I didn't really trust the backups that Washington had. I mean, going especially against Michigan, maybe against other competition, sure. But they just couldn't get the ground game going. And as a result, Michael Penix, he's got to go 27-51 of for 255 yards and a touchdown two picks and when you have to throw the ball almost every time against Michigan I just think that's not a good place to be you got to keep them off balance if possible and you know Huskies just weren't able to do it and their offensive line got beaten like a drum Michigan's offensive line on the other hand looked dominant granted the Huskies aren't exactly known for their run defense so I knew that was going to be an issue too and it, it just really showed and you you have to scheme really well to stop the run against Michigan and anytime you don't close down a gap or an assignment they make you pay and that's what Donovan Edwards did the first two runs (laughs) or just boom boom touchdown touchdown and then like you said you know when those you know the Huskies defense gave them a chance but then again you're it Michigan is a team where if you're down by 10 it feels like you're down by 17 they're they're just Mm -hmm. swarming and it, it's going to take a lot of hard work to get down the field. And that was kind of the overall result of the game. And since the final score of the game and since the game has, you know, we've had some time to marinate on the game, I've seen some crazy takes throughout the past couple of days that I was hoping you and I could go through and dispel, Garrett. Number one, Michael Penix was exposed by Michigan and is overrated. What do you think of that take? I mean, I think that to say exposed, I mean, I don't know, that can mean a lot of things, but I think that it certainly did expose a bit of a flaw in the sense that, you know, he really, you could tell he he was really rattled by the pressure and, that, uh, you know, he was missing a lot of throws. You could tell that uh, the defense really got to him. So, uh, you know, maybe that causes a little bit of concern at the next level. Some, you know, NFL scouts are looking at that and they're, 
you know, they're not as confident as they were after the Texas game. Right. Because you let watch the Texas game and everything's perfect, you know. And, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think, you know, we've seen him struggle in games. That's nothing new. And uh, this is, you know, Michigan's defense is incredible. I don't think it's, um, you know, I don't think it's all on him. You have to look at how the off- offensive line played. Um, there right. are a lot of drops from the receivers. It was great coverage all around the field. Um, so, I mean, all that factored in, yes, it wasn't a good performance by him, and maybe it hurts him in the in the NFL uh, scouts' eyes a little bit. But overall, I think to say he's overrated, I think is a bit. It's, I think this is extreme, and um, right. I don't think that he's. I still think he's you know, one of the best quarterbacks in college football and uh, he'll probably still be a first round pick. So um, to say overrated, I think is a bit extreme. Right. I I concur. I think uh, definitely, you know, maybe rubs some of the sheen off of him and maybe just doesn't shine quite as brightly in some scouts eyes, but nonetheless, you, you can't take away what he did this season and really the season before he played pretty darn well too. And that's what ultimately why he decided to come back is because he saw something special brewing at the UW. And he he came out and played like a rock star in a lot of games. And the, against that Oregon defense twice, which Oregon's defense was pretty darn good statistically all season, he performed well. And the, the lights didn't seem too bright in uh, some big matchups. But Michigan was a different animal. And like you said, I I would say the offensive line has got to look themselves in the mirror and just think, ooh, that, that was not our best day. I mean, number 73, I don't know his name, but, but it seemed like every penalty uh, was coming against him in some key yeah. moments too. I just thought, goodness. Yeah, he, he was getting beat off the line too so much. Right. Uh, it was it was rough, yeah. Yeah. Um. So anyways, I still think Penix – is a top 10 guy like you, you got to take him in there so I, I think he's still in for a, a high pick and then uh, you know we'll see what's what situation he falls into but nonetheless I still think you got to take Penix up as a high draft pick and um, we'll we'll see what his pro career turns out like but you, you think he's going in a high pick uh Penix yes. I think um, I think he's a first rounder still uh, I don't know where in the first round we'll have to see a, a lot can change from now to the draft, but, uh, and there's a lot of good quarterbacks. Um, I think, you know, Caleb Williams and Drake may are the only two that are pretty locked in to be likely top five picks, but then you've got guys like, you've got guys like Michael Penix, Jaden Daniels. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, even, even McCarthy, there's a few quarterbacks in that, uh, second to third tier that it's, it, it's hard to tell quarterbacks hard to predict. Cause you know, it, a lot of times it doesn't even come down to, you know, obviously the elite ones, they're they're going to go at the top of the draft. But then after that, it kind of just comes down to whether a team needs a quarterback or not. Right. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of variance there. But I, I would be surprised if Penix falls outside of the, the first round. Yeah. And by the way, you mentioned Caleb Williams uh, off totally off topic, but he has yet to declare for the draft. He's got four days to figure out if he wants to go pro basically he just doesn't want to go play for the Chicago bears is my understanding, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, yeah. So we'll see about uh, Williams. Um, but uh, 
here's another hot take. The refs gave Michigan the championship game. Now, Garrett, I was watching this game, and it seemed like, I don't know, I, I could see some of the Huskies fans gripe. It seemed like mm-hmm. the Michigan players got away with more than the Huskies. There were some holds that did not get called. There was some pass interference or defensive holds that did not get called, in my opinion. And that certainly, if it didn't give the game to Michigan, it certainly hampered the Huskies' already smaller chances. Is that fair to say? I definitely, you know, there were definitely a lot of instances where, like you said, uh, Michigan's offensive line, plenty of blatant holding. Right calls that could have been called and they weren't um and then even uh you know will and i'm a big fan of letting the defense play especially um in the secondary i think that they should be allowed to play physically if they want to and you know the rest were letting them play on the outside um and that that played into michigan strength with especially with when you have a guy like Will Johnson, who that's, he's, you know, six, two big physical corner. Um, you know, he, he played that way and they, they didn't, they didn't call a lot. And there was a lot of grabbing of the Jersey, stuff like that, but right. uh, they were letting him play for the most part. And then all of a sudden in a, a big moment where Washington finally hits a big shot down, but downfield to a Dunze, they call a, re- a, a real ticky tack holding call. And it was kind of like, Hmm, you know, right. That, refs have been letting these guys play all night and not really held the flag. And then they're going to call that. It just, uh, it just, uh, I think at that point, everyone was like, okay, what, uh, what, what's happening? So, you know, to me, yes, I think the refing was a little bit imbalanced just from what I've seen. Um, but I'm not going to go. It's not enough for me to go and say, Washington got screwed. It wasn't a fair game because at the end of the day, I think Washington made a lot of their, they made too many mistakes on their own that they didn't deserve to win anyway. Yeah. So I think if Washington had played really well and just gotten really unlucky with calls, then I would be willing to argue that they got screwed, but just uh, the amount of drops missed opportunities, you know, they had plenty of opportunities of guys, you know, blown coverage on Michigan's part downfield and they just missed. Right. Um, from overthrows, Shots multiple third down drop passes. Before. Right, exactly, and they were just they just they didn't play well enough to uh, to really earn that that argument, in my opinion. So, right, um, I think it was you know if it was like I said if they played really well and it came and it was a tight game and it came down to you know those calls potentially making a difference, then sure. But you know the way that they played and the way the game went, it's not it's just not really worth. Um, getting too upset about personally, right? I mean, those penalties that or missed penalties that we're discussing didn't result in Michigan beating Washington in rushing yards three hundred three to forty six. Those penalties right. didn't result in the Huskies getting beat on yards per play seven point eight to four point two. Uh, the right. penalties didn't result in Washington going two of fourteen on third down. Uh, and this is, by the way, seventy. the Huskies had 71 total plays. Michigan had 57. So they even had more plays to work with. And as far as total penalties on both sides, uh, it was 5-5. Five and five. So it was even number of penalties. The argument could be made that uh, they uh, uh, basically missed 
uh, some penalties here and there. So that that was more the argument I saw. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, um, Huskies just did not answer the bell on those ends. So, um, yeah. On that note, how about JJ McCarthy? He only threw what fourteen passes, something like that. <laughs> uh, 18, 18. 18, Sorry, sorry. Eighteen. Way different. Yeah, exactly. Ten of eighteen for one hundred and forty yards. No touchdowns. No picks. Didn't have to do anything. And you know, again, this is not a knock on JJ. He didn't have to do anything. Like it. If he was in Penix's shoes, he would have been throwing the ball all over the place because that's what the Huskies scheme is asking of Penix. But uh, McCarthy, he just turned into a guy who would hand the ball off and and make good decisions when uh, it is his time. And he didn't make any big, huge mistakes. So props there. But based on that, do you think he should stay another year at Michigan, just get more time under his belt? I don't think he should. I mean, I think now is as good a time as ever. I don't, I don't see his stock improving. You could argue that this is a really good class. It's the deep quarterback class. So maybe he has a better chance of going higher if he waits a year, but I don't think that, the, I don't know what he could do next season that would improve his stock that he hasn't already shown. In my opinion, I, it's not like they're going to come out next season and all of a sudden they're going to be a, a pass heavy team and he's going to be a gunslinger throwing for 4,000 yards. Right. I think he, I think this is as good as it gets for him at Michigan. And so to me, you know, I mean, he's for what he's done on the field production wise for him to be still mentioned as a potential first rounder. I think he's got to take this opportunity off of, you know, his best season, a really, a really solid season. Yeah. And go ahead and move on. You know, they won it all. Harbaugh could potentially leave tons of seniors on that team that are going to be leaving. I think this is a good opportunity for him to leave. I don't think he's a first round caliber quarterback personally. Um, but again, I think that's why this is a good time to go, you know, going out on top, having a good season. Uh, I think this is probably as high as his stock's going to get. I don't think coming back really does much for him. Yeah. Just like you said, based on how this team, this program is built, it's run heavy, which is honestly kind of refreshing, by the way. Um, but he, to his credit, he did well with what he had. This season, 240 completions out of 332 attempts, good for a 72% completion rate. Uh, 2,991. Uh, there we go. 2,991 <laughs> pass yards, good for an average of nine yards uh, an attempt. 22 touchdowns, four picks, so just really smart with the ball for a, a rating of 167.4. So those stats, I mean, th- that's that's pretty darn good year. And it was pretty similar to what he did last year, by the way, with 22 touchdowns and five picks. So all that to say is I think, yeah, uh, I would line up with you there. I don't think we're going to see a huge jump with his stats as we go to next year. Um, So, you know, but I think McCarthy Mm -hmm. can go to the pros knowing, hey, I'm a college football championship quarterback. And, you know, maybe he gets a shot at some point down the road. But, yeah, definitely Mm -hmm. he's not a guy that's going to be starting year one in the NFL, that's for sure. But good stuff at the college level. Yeah, one thing, an underrated aspect of uh, McCarthy, he, he threw four picks this season, which already is really solid. Uh, 
but three of those picks came in one game against Bowling Green early in the season. Oh, um, wow. that was a that was a nightmare game. He only threw thirteen passes, but three of them were picks. Right. And uh, but outside of that, I mean, he played through the Big Ten and the playoffs. One pick. That's uh, yeah, only throwing one pick. He threw one pick against Maryland. Um, but other than that, I mean, yeah, one pick in what fourteen games outside of the Bowling Green one. I mean, that's really really impressive. Right. Um, you know, and that's what a lot of, uh, uh, I think one coach mentioned this, uh, I think it was Fleck from Minnesota said after they played them that they just don't make mistakes, Michigan, where right. they, they, he said it was the best team he's ever faced or ever seen at playing college football, uh, just because of the fact that they make no mistakes. Right. And you saw that from McCarthy, obviously the bad game against Bowling Green, but outside of that pretty flawless, uh, and he'll, he'll miss passes, but. You know, they're not, again, he's not making mistakes that are costing them games. So, right. uh, you know, there's something to be said about that. Obviously, that's not the flashiest thing. And that's, you know, not necessarily what they're looking for at the next level. But uh, it, it's uh, it's just, it's, you know, it's a part of his game that he's, it's, it's one of his strengths. And, um, you know, as much as I don't think he's going to be an elite quarterback at the next level, um, I do think he's been, you know, for Michigan, he's been, he's been great. And uh, I think he's got a chance to to have a career in the NFL at the next level. Definitely, and I, I like his ru- his escapability, and he he does have decent right. legs. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he, yeah. he's not a yeah. slow poke, and he's smart. No. He reminds me of Russell Wilson in that way, in that he does not he avoids taking big hits, and mm-hmm. he has the pres- the awareness in the pocket to realize, oh, I got to get out of here, I got to get rid of the ball. Doesn't put it into tight windows now obviously at the nfl level those windows get even smaller the defend the the defensive line that's chasing him just gets bigger stronger and faster so the the clock has to speed up and every quarterback's got to go through that adjustment at the next level but mccarthy seems to have the head on his shoulders to where he could do that and at the very least a team's going to have a solid backup on their hands that you can insert into a game and realize hey he's probably not going to give it away (laughs) <laughs> so right um, it, and heck maybe he does start someday so solid career for mccarthy and i guess garrett as we wrap up it, what are your final thoughts on this 2023 season if you could encapsulate it in a you know a couple sentences what what do you think of the 2023 season I thought it was a great season for college football. I think we had a lot of great teams. We had a lot of great conversation about, you know, who deserves being in the playoffs. Um, there was a lot of great matchups uh, towards the end of the season. Um, I think the playoffs were great matchups as well. So overall, I think this is one of the better college football seasons we've seen in a long time, uh, both on the field and off the field with the Michigan cheating scandal. Right. Um, so, you know. Just not a lot uh, of drama. I, <laughs> not a lot of drama at all. Um you know, it's disappointing. We have to crown a champion with a huge asterisk next to it that'll probably get vacated down the line. But other than that, great college football season. I I concur. To me, this is this has been a breath of fresh air. In that, well, is it Alabama or Georgia? We didn't get that this year. We got an entire field of really good teams, and I think that's thanks large in part to the NIL deals and the transfer portal. Now teams can go make changes almost mid-season 
and just grab players who maybe weren't getting a shot elsewhere and they can mm-hmm. they can make changes on the fly. And I think that's going to result in a more balanced playing field in college football. Also, the play style has seemed it seems as though, you know, defenses have gotten more athletic and smaller up front. You know, they they've gone with uh smaller linebackers, guys who can play kind of these hybrid roles. And as a result, Michigan had a ton of success running the football. What are we seeing right. a return of the run game in college, which will then seep into the NFL as well? We're seeing an evolution of college football, different play styles coming back into the fold right before our eyes. So all that to say, I thought this was a fantastic season. Some really memorable games. Washington and Oregon twice. We gotta see that twice. Uh the championship mm-hmm. game. Even Mich- the, oh, Michigan and Bama, were you gonna say that? I would say Michigan, Bama, Michigan, Ohio State. Yep. yep. Um, a lot, Texas. a lot of big games lived up to the to the hype. Yeah, a hundred percent. And we're just going to get more of that in the seasons to come with all this conference realignment, which the it does have its pros and cons. But we're we're going to get to see those heavy hitting matchups right away. I mean, we get to see Texas and Michigan next year. Are you kidding me? Stuff we would never see before in the previous level because teams were too scared of losing. Well, now with the 12-team playoff, teams can go out and swing at heavy hitters. And they're going to have to with some of these conference realignment. The SEC is brutal, for example. The Big Ten's going to be more brutal. ACC's talent is going up, I think, next year with Miami within their recruiting class. So, all that to say. Uh, NC State's going to be great next year, too. Look out for them to make the playoffs. Calling it now. Okay. So, yeah. you got to throw them in the mix. And folks, just stay tuned. Garrett and I are going to get to have some fun, I think, with some topics. We're gonna, we're gonna. Now that it's the off season in college football, yes, we're going to talk about college basketball. But uh, with football, we can have some fun with some topics like looking back at years past or some different things like that. So stay tuned. But with that, ladies and gentlemen, Garrett, did you have anything to add before we wrap up? Uh, I think I'm good. I think we covered it all. Well, there you go. Folks, it's been a blast covering this college football season. Thanks so much for joining us on this ride as we now make the shift to college basketball. Stay tuned for that. For my co-host, Garrett Thigpen, I'm Garrison Hardy. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time here on Game Time with Garrison and Garrett.